the realm of those characters. They come out. And, sure. and that's okay. And one thing that and it's natural in this, especially in the blockchain where they can just take your idea and fucking carbon copy. But one thing that was really important to the Olympus team when I was with them is that, and, and still is until this day, I can definitely echo that, is that we didn't want to, to focus or give attention to the negatives, regardless of the damage that some of these forks were doing by manipulating the, the initial idea behind what we were doing. We didn't want to even give them the spotlight. And it was difficult for, to try to keep that under wraps because you put your life into this thing and you're working your ass off sure. and you're, you give your genius and then somebody just comes, snatches it up, shits on it. That hurts, uh, right? That's an emotional human reaction. That fucking sucks. So, yeah. you know, you get that side of it. So you have some individuals who are personally hurt and you have to learn to remove yourself from that and go, okay, keep your nose down to the grindstone and keep building, keep shipping or whatever it is we're doing at the time and, and stay focused in the, the goal here because the bad actors will wash themselves out as we've seen and, and the good actors are still within the ecosystem and building. Welcome to Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel, where we explore projects in decentralized finance that are innovating and driving our mission of financial freedom forward. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review Mission DeFi and spread the word by posting a tweet to the show. All opinions expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests are their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Black Knox, Material Indicators, or any other affiliated organizations. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests as an inducement to make a particular investment, follow a particular strategy, or become involved with any project. A project being featured on the show is not an endorsement of that project in any way. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Now, here's Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel. Today's guest is Fatty Bags from Olympus Dow, where he was formerly helping to run marketing for that unbelievably large Dow with a very unbelievably active community. I wanted to get insights from him on what other projects can learn from the Olympus Dow experience, not only the beginning stages when they were first getting things together, but also all the way through the process of growth, of choosing people, of how to set up the organization of operations, of strategies, and then what the experience was like when the cascading liquidations happened for Olympus Dow. We got into that and a whole lot more with some really incredible um, life experience that Fatty brings to the table for um, everyone to learn from. So hope you enjoy this episode. I learned a ton from Fatty and I'm sure you will as well. And I think the entire ecosystem can continue to learn from people that are already doing the things that everyone else is trying to do. First off, thanks, man, for having me on. I really wanted to step up the cadence of this because I feel like there is a wealth of knowledge that I've gained even over the last year that could help 
a lot of people in these startup situations within DAOs, within the DeFi community and how not to trip over their shoelaces. Right. So that was, that's a big thing because what we did, I'll step back a little bit and give you a rundown on, on what kind of brought me to the space and where I started. What we did at, with Olympus was really a huge amount of learning or building the ship offline and yeah, seeing parabolic growth and just absolute insanity. And then also trying to keep it all together when you're flooded with so much talent that, that recognizes something super cool and they want to be part of it as well and also contribute, which we've made amazing connections over the course of that time. But yeah, we could totally deep dive oh. into that, but I'll rewind a little bit, give you a little backstory on mother and father, polar opposites. We'll go way back. My dad awesome. was in the Viet Vietnam War. Was it, Mom was a hippie actually protesting the war. So wow. Wow. Dad had a rough life growing up. He was an orphan. He ended up going over to Vietnam at 16 years old. Uh, he was, yeah, he was there. He, he lied about his age or whatever it was at the time. And he was, his home life was so bad that it was like an, an escape. Yeah. Yeah. He found purpose. So he went over there and my dad is the hardest working. He's in his seventies now. And that dude could still whoop my ass. Excuse my <laughs> friend. She's an animal. Like it's there. My dad, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's they don't stop working. So they stay healthy. It's yeah, like, I, I think there's something to take from that. His physical endurance is just maddened. He went over there. He had a hell of a lot of crazy experiences and cool stories. And maybe on another podcast, I can share some of those because they're fucking mind boggling. Nice. But, so he came back, met my mom, actually, a gold mine. They were both working. And my mom was just wow. jacked, ripped, bending pipe. And just, oh she was God. just, this, yeah, it was super hardcore. She went from, she was a single mom at the time. Her husband uh, had left her and she had my half sister. So they met, they hit it off. My dad was a schmoozer kind of like me and he won her over. And from there they, they had me and I had a little sister. And from there we traveled around. My father taught transcendental meditation. So he leaned into wow. his hippie side. He went over nice. and done a bunch of TM stuff, which was really cool. And then as we got older, I was actually raised uh, on a Hindu compound. So I was like exposed to a lot of Kind of exposed to a lot of really cool religion and ideas and, and perspectives. And it helped me build to where I'm at today, where I've picked and pulled different things I've liked from different, different religions or aspects of society and build out who I am. Fast forward to, I think it was around 2015, dude. It's been so long. I got into the, like the Bitcoin mining side of things. Like I had okay. some buddies uh, that were like, we were, we, we'd known each other. We were like the stoner skateboarder guys from high school, middle school. And then we did our own thing. And I get a call one day and my buddy's like, dude, you got to get into this cryptocurrency. And of course, in the beginning, everyone's like, hell is that, dude? Like right. digital money? Like, it didn't make any fucking sense. So they, after pestering me enough, they got me in on it. And they started doing, they were, I remember specifically walking into this dude's apartment and he had a bunch of these milk crates, like those like red milk crates with GPUs and exposed motherboards. Oh and the god. fucking place was like 300 degrees. I oh, walked sure. in, I go, I'm going, oh my God, this place is gonna catch you on fire, dude. You're in an apartment, number one. Holy shit. What's your electrical bill, dude? So he's over here doing his mining gig and I put some money into it very timidly at the time because I was trying to figure out life and just doing different, different entrepreneurial kind of things, trying to start up businesses. E-commerce, I think was at the time where I was like getting into the idea of selling stuff online. But nonetheless, they got me to invest a little bit. I had some money in it. They had quite a bit more Bitcoin accumulated and we got rugged. I think it was, I don't remember when the Mount Gox rug happened. My timeline might be a little off, but we lost everything from, from Mount Gox. Oh, dude. You, you remember this? Of course. Yes. So that's that, brutal. <laughs> so it was really like the first rug experience that like we on a mainstream level, like, quote unquote mainstream at the time. Yeah. And, it was gone. So that's that thing that keeps coming back to you. And you think about, oh. you count up those Bitcoins in your head and you're like, yeah. oh, I, don't do I don't like thinking about it. Cause I'm just like, oh, it makes me sick. There's, 
that's brutal. A small fraction of what we were doing would have equated to a, a huge amount of wealth. You know, I laughed it off at the time. I was like pissed. I was like, all right, I put some money into this shit. I believed in you guys. And now this stuff just like disappeared. What the hell is that? <laughs> so I completely denounced crypto. From I'm sure. I'm sure. Like, this is some hogwash bullshit and you guys can deal with it. I'm going to go focus on real life shit. And at the time, whether that was working for the man or it was doing whatever, trying to come up with my own company. Fast forward, I kind of was a investor, if you would. I'd buy like little projects that had hype in the media or the news, whether it was Ethereum or at the time, I think I saw XRP or some shit. There was a couple things where I'd put like a couple grand where I could afford it here and there. And right. then I just forgot about it. So it was right. very low, low stress investing, which is nice compared to today where it's one day and you're like, oh my God, did I lose everything? <laughs> so true. It, you know, it was so low stress. I wish it was like, I almost wish I kept doing that. But it, to me, it was like crypto is not going anywhere. It's always going to be here in one way, shape or form. Regulations will change. Things will change. The ebb and flow is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but you're just, we're just going to ride the wave and figure out what happens. Fast forward, let's get to a more present time. I'd say about last year, I had a buddy that was in a mutual discord server and he's man, have you heard of Olympus? And wow. at this time I was just Ethereum maxi in that sense. And just like very lightly touching into the crypto space and keeping my distance from being burned before. But and were you... Like, were you like diving into DeFi at all at that point? Or were you just buying tokens and just buying tokens and like okay. maybe skimming the surface of DeFi in the sense of just didn't really, it, it, it felt like a dark shadow coder kind of realm because I just sure. didn't have that experience yet. And so I, I talked to my boy and then almost an interesting filter into DeFi in a sense. It, if you look at it from a normie quote unquote perspective or a greenhorn or a newbie, it's very overwhelming. You're looking at things like bonding mechanics. I was going to say, that's a hell of a like, first project. It's a hell of a dive, right? So, <laughs> but traditionally in my life leading up to this point, I had a, a lifetime of marketing experience, corporate gigs, a consultation, startups, entrepreneurial endeavors, those kind of things. And I understood and loved the psychology of human beings and how to amass uh, a lot of you know, how to extract value from a lot of people or provide value and, and thus extracting value from those people, et cetera. Right. So like this whole mindset kind of was always with me. And then I, so I saw Olympus, I dove in, I started to throw some money in it. And sure enough, my buddy's like, we're printing fucking money. This is amazing. And, and it's, it's working. I'm going, oh shit, I'm seeing my token value go up. This money has not disappeared like Mt. Gox yet or anything of that matter. So I timidly continued to pump money into it and do my research. So hanging out in Olympus in the early days, I'm not sure if you're familiar or not with, uh, there was a channel off topic. So big shout out to all the people in off topic. It was just a total shit fest. My friend, it was literally <laughs> shit posting degenerate, like just and brilliant people. Don't right. get me wrong. Like really amazingly brilliant people and super kind people as well. I remember the first time I came in there, I fucked up and Excuse, am I allowed to curse on that? Of course. Oh no, yeah. Awesome. I, I just wanted to make sure I, I fucked up and I. I didn't have enough gas or something because you had to approve a transaction. You had to stake it. You had to stake the, the coin that you'd purchased. I was off by five bucks or something. And at the uh -huh. time, the Ethereum gas was like up and down. And I, and I just voiced it in chat. I go, oh, did I fuck this up or is something screwed up? Because it's asking me to pay again. And I didn't, I was learning at the time. Sure. And Jaws, one of the guys. Uh, oh, yeah. Protocol, he sends me a message. He's give me your Ethereum address. And I, I was like, why? And I give it to him. And he sends me uh, like 120 bucks per day. But that nice. me and nothing. So nice. he had purchased my loyalty in a way, if you think back That's to a logical manner, it was a super smart play. 
but it was also very genuine because the dude was cool. He was like, this is just starting. There's not a ton of people here. Let's make sure you guys have a comfortable experience coming in. Nice. So from there, I was like, this is super weird. Like I joined the discord of all these degenerate, hilarious people posting memes that are like gut busting and they're all friendly. People are teaching me trading strategies and like how you swing trading and day trading and scalping and all this other stuff. And I'm learning in this environment. And then on top of that, I got people who are just sending me a little bit of money to make sure that I don't fuck up and I learn how to use the protocol. That's amazing, man. For me, bro, that was like, okay, cool. This might be family. This might be a really cool place to hang out. And so I did. Absolutely. Um, So I stuck with them and I started to dive in more and and really just explore DeFi and pick people's minds and and really just wanted, I wanted to know what I could know because I saw there's like a wealth of knowledge here. And then on top of that, this is like a gold rush. Like we're early. We're still early in this conversation. We're early in my opinion. And uh and so I, I started to dig in and then there was this, I believe it was Zeus and a couple of the other guys were like, Hey, we're thinking about making a DAO where the community can contribute. And from that, we can hopefully build out, you know, either services or we can just advance this protocol in a way that's healthy for everybody that's involved. And I thought, okay, cool. I've never been part of a decentralized autonomous organization ever. Right. You know, DAO is so new and I'm like, this is cool as shit. Okay, let's see what happens. They start to assemble this for literally from the ground up. And I don't think any of us really knew what we were doing at the time. <laughs> we just had an idea. I'm not sure anybody in DeFi knows what they're doing I, right I, this I, time. I yeah. know. I, I think that we're all doing our best. Which exactly. Is, which is wonderful. But so we, 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 we started to build this DAO out and it wasn't just me by any means. It was a uh, conglomerate of brilliant minds and creative people. And it started with the very fundamentals, which is like Discord was like our setup. So from Discord, you have to build rooms. And from these rooms, these channels, quote unquote, you have different kind kinds of material or partnerships, or you have just different themes in each one that need to be catered to. Sure. Uh, and, th- and each one of them is a process within the, the DAO or the protocol. So as we got this thing assembled or we started to assemble it, you, that's when you start to see the shit where it's like, oh, we need this now. It's not necessarily a problem, but it's a need. And it's right. like, okay, so how do we implement that? And early on you go, do we have enough bodies to even do that? <laughs> Is there enough people in here that know what's going on? So when it first started up, I wrote up a long marketing proposal for Olympus and I said, the the real bread and butter here and how this is we're gonna we're gonna find adoption well, there's a couple of things one we need to increase adoption of the current DeFi realm so we need to bring people in and we need to make them feel like they're at home and to right. me and my heart community how do we reinforce and bolster the community and create a home or a fun place that people go to just like off topic which was really the hub at the time sure. uh, to just shit post with your friends and maybe decompress after your meet space and and be happy to be possibly making money with your friends right. or at least sharing strategies and ideas i my my proposal really focused on fragmenting the actual investor acquisition, if you want to call it, or just acquisition of, of customers or however you want to look at it into three different parts, which was like a greenhorn, a novice and a veteran, right? And you look at the greenhorns as people who have no fucking clue what's going on in DeFi and really they need to, they really need to be hit hard with education and they need to really look into this in a way that is simplified and it can't be overwhelming and it needs to be easily digestible and distilled down in a format that makes sense to somebody who's like never opened a fucking MetaMask, you know what I mean? Right. So that's what I meant by Greenhorn. The veterans are the dudes that were in it and still learning, but yet we're a little bit more advanced, they can navigate around. And then of course, I'm sorry, the novice. And then the veterans are the dudes that were just boom, you know, they were the guys leading the, the charge. They knew what the hell was going on. They had the crazy strategies and they were like a step ahead of everyone. 
So I, I think by focusing on those three demographics, it was really important because it allowed for us then to as in a way where we could uh, acquire those individuals and educate and bring them on board and grow the protocol. Yeah, so that was a really like, smart breakdown. I like that targeting. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And it was, it just, it made sense. So we stuck with really community oriented, the FOMOs, and it wasn't just my marketing. I, I don't take full credit for any of this. It was a really a group of people who came together and said, Hey, I agree with that thought, Fatty. Here's my two cents on that. What do you think? And vice versa. And we bounced these ideas around until we all said, Hey, that's actually sick. And everyone's brilliant in the space. That's something I, I like right. to add when I talk about DAOs is like, to get here, you got to be smart in one way, shape, or form. You can't be a complete bumbling fool. And there are some, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it's like everyone that comes in this space has a sliver of genius at the very least. And that should be identified, recognized, and respected. It was really wonderful to start with this proposal. So I, I broke that down. As Zeus said, Zeus was really blown away by it. And in a sense, he was like, hey, this is some big brain thinking, man. I think you'd be a nice. great addition. And eventually that evolved to me becoming the marketing stratego. And I came in and stratego for listeners and whoever might not know, uh, it's just like project lead. Project, yeah. It's just really yeah. the director of marketing, but it was a cool themed way. And that's something that's cute in DeFi. Some people yeah, think totally it's crazy, like that. But it, yeah, it's just like, we had, we don't want to be corporate. Like, no, like of course, a lot of us fucking left that realm because it sucks. Exactly. So it's screw that. Let's have a little fun with it and yet be like visionary. So not to be too long winded, but nonetheless, it, it turned became now the lead of marketing and alongside like growth, which was Jaws, who was just a really, he's a real brilliant shit posting, degenerate, wonderful human being in his own way. I still talk to the guy pretty much well weekly because he's a creative, creative dude. And right. So between that, we started to bring these community events together and we had like gaming events and we had the FOMOs, which is the fear of missing out, but with home in between a little clever wordplay. And right. it was really like one of the first community events in DeFi where you're actually bringing together multiple communities. You're giving shit away. We're giving away NFTs. We're doing all this stuff that now is recycled over and over because people are grasping at straws to figure out how to market their protocol in a diluted world, which is yep. you know, diluted in our bubble. But uh, we started that, that trend and, and it grew into something that where it's okay. Now we're getting to a point where people are catching on and it wasn't just the community that did it, but that was a large solidified part of the foundation of what we were doing. From that point, moving forward, we started to brainstorm. It's like when you start to, when you're starting to bring in revenue and the company's doing good and people are noticing you and people are seeing that you guys are doing new and cool shit, you start to pick up new individuals. And what was really shocking or surprising to me, which it shouldn't have been, but obviously this was new to everyone. Is that when these individuals came in, like sometimes these guys would come with firepower. It would be somebody who was like Silicon Valley active at the time and right. like a straight brilliant dude. And yeah. like he's just in there on his, on his day off going, yeah, what can I do? Yeah. That shit was mind boggling. Let me ask you a question though. Yeah. Uh, two questions. First of all, I sure. want to backtrack real quickly. Was I, was most of your previous work experience prior to the DeFi world, was that in? Yeah, I'd, okay. say, I'd say, yeah, it, a huge amount was. And then I broke away from that, the corporate structure and started my own companies and businesses and cool. had little startups. I had failures, I had successes, and that was what I did. So it was heavily entrepreneurial. And a lot of it was learned just for myself from trial and error. Nice. And so just prior to this, kind of this headfirst dive you did, you'd yes. been working on your own businesses, but did you, was there like a, and if this is none of my business, tell me, but was it like this income transitional time for you and in diving into Olympus? Were you still working on 
your projects on the, your entrepreneurial stuff while you were diving into this, or was this just like head first for you? Yeah, no, I like for me, I've never stopped grinding in the background and I still okay. do till this day. Nice. Always been chilling and it's something that I love and I believe in. And I think that helped me remove a lot of the pressure that comes yeah. with this space because some people do go like full in. And when that happens, it becomes like a necessity to make it. Of course. <laughs> and it, that's definitely so. Yeah, I, I continue to grind on the side. I, I do a lot of consultation work between marketing. Uh, a little fun fact is I do uh, a lot of legal cannabis consultation for large operations. So these multi-million nice. dollar growth facilities all up from, you know, West Coast. Uh, now it's moved all the way to the East Coast, which is wonderful. I love to see that in America in its own way. Uh, That's awesome. But, yeah, it's just something I've always been in tune with Earth and, and with Mother Earth and the, and the planet in general and the plant. And it's something I don't see people fail. And these things, it, to start up a legal cannabis company takes millions of dollars if you're going to do it right. And to right. be able to compete in the industry and you watch these guys just fucking flail and drown. So I yeah, said, Hey, sure. you know I had the expertise from years of experience before, and I helped a lot of those guys. So that's taken the back burner to DeFi because that was so involved and that took all of my time and nonstop travel. Whereas like e-commerce and marketing and entrepreneurial endeavors like that were much easier to maintain while working. DeFi. Sure. And you could do them at home and the whole bit. Yeah. All right. So in terms of, in terms of kind of the, the dynamic that was happening in Olympus, I saw what you were just talking about, that there was like some really big brained, big qualification people coming into the space. Do you, do you think it was a product of the level of engagement in Olympus Dow is just, you know, tremendous in terms of the activity that people are doing in that? What, was that something where it was like this momentum happened and you guys just said, holy shit, we've got to harness this and get people in the right place? Or was it something that you had to both encourage and, and take the flow coming in? Yeah, no, that's a really good question too, because I think what the intention was there for that to happen, obviously, right. because everyone really wanted this thing to blow up and be big. And we put all of our effort into that. I think that what happened is that it happened so fast it, beyond most people's expectations, right? The, the, right. the industry moves so quick um, that we, at that point, went into the the mode of, okay, this is happening much quicker than we had first anticipated. Let's get everyone in the right positions now. <laughs> so <laughs> it really hit like a title, right? Yeah. What What was it like figuring, did you guys do like an inventory of skills and experience or did you just let people say, hey, I want to do that and you let them do that. What was that process like? I've got to believe hurting all of these skills and experience. There are plenty of projects out there that would kill to have the flow of talent that was coming into Olympus. But how did you guys say, how did you guys, or, or was it just as they came one at a time? Okay, you're good. Great. Do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's another really one. I'm so glad to be talking about this too, man, because these nice. are all like the small minute details that really add up to the big formula. And it's like really incredible. What happened and how this worked is like, there's a little bit of a combination of both. So what you would have is necessity. We need something. And maybe right. there is 10 or 20 people who claim that they can do that. And, and this proof of work, quote unquote, it really translates to show us what you can do, put your money where your mouth is and do it. And those individuals were the ones that stood out because everyone right. could come in and say, hey, I'm a front end dev or I'm a solidity expert, uh, right. but it's the guys that fucking wrote the code and that shit was executed on were the ones that were like, oh, that guy is a solidity expert. You know what nice. I mean? Nice. So and, he'll, and he knows how to work it. That's the thing. Are they going to dive in and do the job? Show up and do it. 
that was the main thing is you are, everyone's welcome. That was our motto is like, everyone is welcome to join the DAO. It's the people that step up and do the work are the ones that will progress with the DAO. And that truly worked in a lot of ways. And th that's really interesting because it, it, in the corporate world, in the world that a lot of these people are coming from there, they have been trained their entire professional lives to wait to be told what, and look, there's always a select group of people who are the go-getters, who are aggressive, who move up in the corporate world, whatever. But even some of those people, they, they still feel like they have to set, here's the job, here's what you will do every day, here's how you'll work on it. But in the life of a DAO, you guys are still figuring out what the hell you need to do, much less who's going to do it and telling them to do it. But it's this natural selection that's really cool are the people that just go and say, okay, I'm going to build this and then deliver it for you. And then you're like, oh yeah, you're good for that. That's great. Exactly. Exactly. And I think like part of the magic of all of that, if we want to call it that, because it's new, it's exciting. It's like overwhelming at times is like also being able to differentiate between the individuals that truly want to, to donate or dedicate their time and their heart and their effort to build something great with uncertainty of any possibility of it being a success beyond what's already on paper and seeing those individuals come in and I mean, some of them, man, were working two jobs. Some of them had multiple kids. You can hear the babies crying in the background during meetings, stuff like that. It was like so fascinating because they were passionate. It's so new and invigorating that like that to me was one of the most magical parts about being part of a DAO or one of the bigger DAOs to, to ever be created at the time. And it, it was really special to see the dedication of these people who didn't need to do it, but loved it. Did you guys find that there was this natural, not natural, that there was a natural kind of desire for a hierarchy to get created? Or did you guys, like everyone kept going to Zeus for can we or should we do this? Or did it just happen naturally that everybody just did what they needed to do? Yeah. One of the goals before like operations was really brought into the mix, which was an app, super important thing to have right off the rip. All the people starting DAOs, make sure you have your operations in, in place. <laughs> Numero uno. They did a lot. The early operations uh, contributors did a really wonderful job of kind of just bootstrapping everything, making sure it came together quickly, building the ship as it was flying. The, shoot, I got a little lost. No, it's all right. I was just asking, was there a hierarchy that just naturally yes. formed? Was everybody still bugging Zeus about what to do Perfect. here and there and that kind of thing? Yeah, no, sorry about that. Yeah, the main goal that we had was to remain as flat as possible. That okay. was like awesome. You know, off the rip. And one, Zeus wanted to, he didn't want to be that figure as it was an idea of his that came to life. And he really wanted the power to be in people's hands. That, that reverberated within the DAO as well. We wanted to remain as flat and fair as possible. We didn't want a pecking order or any of these kind of corporate high school politics coming into the play that comes with hierarchy. But what you learn is that as that happens, there are some hierarchical necessities that need to take place in order for proper structure and execution to take place as well. So it's a very interesting dichotomy where you're looking at it from a very flat perspective, but at the same time, there's people that are going to have questions and they have to ask somebody who has right. answers to those questions. So it's, it's, it's very unique. That's cool. Did this end up in a situation where, um, a lot of the members of the DAO that were doing diving in full time, were they doing this? And if it's none of my business, tell me it's none of my business. Was there a compensation structure for the team or was this something where people were just volunteering their time most of the time and it was just what it was? Yeah. So originally in the very beginning and myself included, I just dove in, not expecting a thing. 
I didn't write jack shit. This was exciting. I made new friends. I'm a hermit in the woods, quote unquote. Now I found my peace out in the quiet of the pines, if you will. Um, But that doesn't really lend you to making a lot of new friends. And so the internet really is a a really great escape. And I'm a social butterfly, if you will. So to me, it was like, shit, I have a whole new group of friends. These guys are all fucking brilliant. You know what I mean? I'm used to working in a realm where uh, a lot of these dudes are smoking hella weed and they're not really the sharpest characters. In case no offense to the guys out there. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I smoke, so there's no no issue there. But I, it was, I was looking to like level up in, in my friend circle in a lot of ways. And this was a really opportunity, like a, just a great time to do that because it's got to yeah. be brilliant. So I came in expecting jack shit. And, right. you know, and I donated. God, man, I, I thank goodness for my wife. She, I'm surprised she didn't leave me. I locked myself in the office for that first year, pretty much, of just let's fucking rock and roll. Let's make this thing work. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's awesome. That's, and look, I think the, the nice thing is that the incentives align no matter what, right? And when you're dedicating that kind of time to something that you've invested in, then the reward is on the other end of that. So I, I think that makes complete sense. And it's, sure. it's interesting as I meet all the people that I've met in these interviews to hear some of the real similarities of the stories here, because the, are you familiar with the guys at Young Capital? Have you ever heard of them? Yeah. Yeah. So they did something very similar kind of spurred out of their collaboration and that they were in that they were like mixing it up with memes and DJ and shit in the Alchemix mm-hmm. group. And Alchemix basically said, dude, you gotta, you guys need your own room. Cause you're killing me here. And so they started just created this group and all of a sudden there were 18 of them and they created an investment fund. And so it's just so interesting to see how so many people are do, were doing in DeFi, what you were doing, which was finding new friends, new people to learn from, to grow with. And it's, to me, it's a really amazing component of everything that's happening in DeFi and the DAOs is that everybody wants to make a buck. Don't get me wrong. Everybody wants to build something cool. We all are motivated by building something cool, but there's this like underlying social thing that's happening. Yes. That I don't think people necessarily think about that often. That is a really critical component of it. Massive. Yeah. It's such a good point. And and really it, it can be at the foundation. Like it was for me for a lot of people. Yeah. Like that is a fundamental aspect of the Dow life, like a social release almost. Right. Right. And at the same time, you're having fun and, and potentially making money. With and I think you have less conflict that way, right? Like typically, if you just took a group of people and slapped them together and said, we're going to build this thing, if they didn't build any relationships in the process, then it's probably going to get pretty ugly. Yeah. But in this case, you guys are like having fun together, learning together, investing together, and then you're like building together. And that's, that's pretty amazing. That's cool. It was, yeah, it was definitely, it's, it's special in its own regard. And, and what's really neat, what you're touching on is with the young, like individuals recognize the like-minded individuals within yep. the house. So what you have are these micro niches of people who are creative and they're friends with everybody, but maybe these five people over here see eye to eye a little bit better than the other group, 95%. Right. And that group might do something on the side, which is really cool and creative and speaks to their like creative mind. And that's what's really cool. So you see these NFT project spinoffs where people are really getting on the artistic side of things. And then you see these other like just DGEN projects, which are just really neat. So I, I think it's really fascinating that you put them all in one pot, you boil them together, and then a couple of the crabs <laughs> jump out and they're like, let's go over to this pot. Do this thing over so here. Really Absolutely. No, that's amazing. Amazing. Look, I'm sure it wasn't all adrenaline and excitement. What were the things that you guys, that you've 
that as you guys are trying to like bring this all together that you found to be difficult or that maybe mistakes you or others on the team made in, in bringing it all together and trying to structure things? Because ultimately there is no roadmap for this. So right. what, what kind of things did you guys encounter that you wish, uh, wish we'd done that differently or that you want to make sure other people know, Hey, try not to do this. Yeah. I, I think it's a really good point because these things are not all cupcakes and unicorn farts and fucking sparkles <laughs> and, and gold stars. They're really not. And honestly, I, after I think time is our greatest enemy in this space. And what's ridiculous is that one year of time in this space feels like fucking 10 yep. in, 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 in a corporate scenario, in, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, it's just because it's such an ADD realm. And there's so much brilliance that's being so thrown around <laughs> and it's just, it really is like you're bombarded with it. It's like a television on the highest volume in your face from morning till night. You dream about the shit because yeah. it's your life yep. and then you wake up and you rinse and repeat. And, and what I would love to stress to individuals that are starting DAOs or jumping into the space is like the regulation and the boundary setting of your own time, your own schedule amongst yourself and your peers is absolutely fundamental in your success in this space. Nice. The, Very good. Yeah. So the ability to be able to regulate that excitement, the ability to be able to regulate the excitement of your friends and to set clear boundaries will save your ass and, and it will, it'll let you win the long game. That's you awesome. Burn, yeah, definitely. You fucking burn out, dude. It's so come back, but it fucking is, it's, you're not going to come back. You're coming back wounded. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And look, I mean, it's discord. And it's pure chaos anyway. And then it's constant yes. and it's 24 seven and it's never ending. And there's always something you can do. And if you try to do it all, you're going to, you are going to burn out. You are going to flame. hundred percent, hundred percent. And to speak to your question, some of the things that we could have done different and just to give people a heads up and like what they could do differently. I think that everyone in Olympus from start to finish has always had really good intentions and everyone has done everything with the intention of everyone making it that they could. And right. I say that not because I, you know, am biased because I've worked with the guys. Like I've sat in meetings with these dudes for hours upon hours and really vetted everyone and sussed everyone out because anons. And you can't just go in trusting people off the rip. Right. So the entire time that I'm with these guys, I'm still sitting there going, okay, so what's the intention of this character? What's the intention here? This is all good. And from my experience, 99% of the time, everything was, was in good intention. Now. The side that people need to be careful about with DAOs in general, and what we've run into, is just the different characters, uh, the inflow and outflow of different characters. So what I mean by that is that you have to be able to identify bad actors in the space. And, and sure. to do that, it takes fucking time. Not everyone that signs up for your DAO is a good contributor. Just because right. they're in the space doesn't make them fucking qualified. And you have to be able to let go of some of the, I'm a big hearted dude. I lean into like really just giving everyone a chance. And early on, I had to really pull back and go, I, I have to really dig deep into these people and see what the real true intention is. And I think that um, the onboarding process, the vetting and allocating enough human resources, meaning having enough people to actually interact, listen, take the time to vet these individuals before they join your DAO, in a sense, that needs to be taken very seriously. Because what happens is it's very easy for individuals to become embedded in the DAO, like an ingrown hair, and then you're dealing with an optics issue if something goes south. So Absolutely. my warning, yes, is to 100% 
take your time when allowing people to join your DAO. Obviously, it's a decentralized autonomous organization. You can't be fucking gatekeeping too hard, but there should be enough effort put in to vet individuals correctly. And the processes uh, need to be perfected when vetting those individuals so that you make safe plays when bringing people on. Well, and I think it makes complete sense even more so if you're engaging them into like critical projects for the DAO itself. And I got to believe firing people is a really difficult thing in a DAO. I guess it's just an admin and discord thing away, but I definitely can understand how critical that is because yeah. otherwise you just spin your wheels. You have a negative impact on the image of the DAO. Certainly you've got to be careful of that. Yeah. It, it's very easy in, in this realm to have a wonderful reputation and then have that absolutely decimated by a couple characters. And, yeah. and that can happen in the form of FUD and happen in the form of, which can be people lying or making up stories or, and there's, it's just, it really comes back to that whole high school analogy or middle school where it's, this place is anonymous. These people are hidden behind the screen, a lot of them. And the, the rules and regulations that come with a corporation the things that you can't do that are outlined in maybe con contractual obligations are not there. So some of these guys have had no experience in those realms at all or any business experience at all. And they don't know how to behave or how to act. And that can reflect really poorly. I, I, all my love goes out to people in operations in these DAOs because <laughs> it, there's no human resources, quote unquote. Maybe some people are starting to do the HR gig, but like the, the balancing of personality. And what you find in this space is that with brilliance comes social ineptness. So oh, you, yeah. what, you're, you, what you're seeing is you see these people who are just so brilliant, but they haven't really interfaced outside of maybe their basement or their fucking bedroom. You know what I mean? And I say that in the <laughs> kindest way. I really do. But, but I know what you mean. Look at Vitalik, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I walked in on Vitalik at my hotel at Eat Denver. He's just sitting in the lobby on his fucking phone. Like, tell me that's not incredible, bro. <laughs> that's I amazing. Love it. That's it's just a genius chilling. Uh, but yeah, so not to sidetrack, but I think that really managing uh, the personalities, carefully handling those personalities and, and just being gentle with humans is a really good takeaway from anyone that's working from an operational standpoint. Does. That, that's, that's great. That's really good advice. What in, if you were to make a list, let's say so today I called you up and said, Fatty, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm launching a project. It's mm -hmm. some complex DeFi protocol. I'm going to, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to try to get people excited about it. And I really need to build up a DAO. No, let's, let me, re, let me revert that. I've launched a DeFi protocol. I have a ton of people excited and interested in it. I've got these flood of people jumping into my discord. What would be the first three or five things you would tell me, dude, you got to make sure you do one, two, three, four one, two, whatever the number is. What are those things that you would really advise people to start thinking about right away out of the gate? I think we've covered a couple, but I just want to, maybe we can list sickle this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm more than happy to do that. And I like how you, you reworded it too, because you went from maybe no excitement and a new startup to this already has traction. Yeah. And those are two massively really different things. Yeah, mind. yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. But speaking in the terms of say you've got traction, you've already won a large part of the battle. So right. one of the things in DeFi that's very difficult is marketing and anybody that works in marketing and, and some people will go, wait, what are you talking about, fatty? You can throw something out on Twitter. And boom, you're fucking famous. It's no, it doesn't work like, that way. Twitter is something that DeFi has been backed in the corner of because it is one of our only legal recourses for marketing in, in the state. Okay? Now, if you're in other countries, sure, you can get around it. From my experience in the space, there are no paid ads. There is no affiliate marketing. There is no fucking no. Google campaigns that you can run. There is not really an easy way to, to start 
flooding retail and, and bringing in that kind of adoption via the, the normal avenue. So that's the, the first thing that I'd like to, to point out. But to get back to what you were asking, okay, you've got traction, right? You've somehow you've done your marketing in a way that makes sense. So you've done something right off the rip. You've got a good marketer. You've come up with a great campaign. Uh, you've created an exciting product, which is different. Be fucking original. This space is flooded with carbon copies, and that's one of the the double-edged swords of DeFi and crypto in yeah. general is it's all on the fucking blockchain. It's yeah. been developed. You just fork that shit for the most part, and then you have a flood of copycats. We saw that with Olympus. Of course. And, of and course. it can be super detrimental to an image, and it can do a lot of damage. But be original. That would be number one. So you got your idea. You've got your marketing. You've got a little bit of traction. Uh, the next thing I would say is I would say even before that, you want to make sure that your Discord or your platforms are set up in a way, again, foundationally, you'll hear me say that a shitload, because if you ain't laying the brick properly from the start, you're going to be building the fucking house as this thing's growing. And that shit is going to collapse in different sectors. Your bathroom's going to cave in. You're going to have a kitchen fucked up. So you really going to be really rebuilding wish- it over and over again. <laughs> you're gonna, and you don't want to do that. So you want to start with the, the fundamental foundational things being set up. So having you having a discord guru, and, and that might sound silly, but a lot of people, oh, it's critical, space, dude. Yeah. It's critical. It's super critical because once you get into discord, there's bot integration and yes, you can learn it. There's a lot of brilliant people. You can sit there and you can take care of it. But if you're starting a DAO or you're the founder or anything, you don't need to be delegating time into that shit. You need yeah. somebody and delegation is fucking key in this realm. If you want to make it, you have to learn to trust and delegate. Or yep. you will collapse 100%. Yep. I would say make sure your Discord is set up. Make sure you have all avenues of communication set up. And make sure that your the people that are responding in those, those different platforms are on top of their shit. There's nothing worse than when you're trying to build if you have somebody trying to get in touch with you. And it could be your next big segue into fame or, or a mass amount of wealth. If you leave somebody on red for three or four days, you're fucking up. So there's a level of professionalism. And to do that, you need to make sure that you have the right people surrounding. So that's another huge point. A fundamental foundational setup, Discord, Telegram, however you want to do it. Make sure that you have a clean way of meeting with people that maybe are not so privy to Discord. So get used to Google meetings, get used to setting up things like that, where you're able to talk with quote unquote normies in a comfortable way. I would say that would be definitely a start. The second or the another thing, all of this needs to happen in parallel. Brad, it's easy to say like step-by-step how it should happen, but the the truth is a lot of this needs to be formed together and in parallel. So to do that, you need to make sure that you're surrounded with people who are capable of backing you up when you need. So find yourself one or two dudes that are diehard, they are dedicated, believe in the project, and have never let you down. That's the best you can do in this space with Anons. Now, if that's family, fuck yeah, go for it. You got blood there to reinforce it. But sure. a lot of us, you talk to your brothers and sisters, your mom and dad, they're like, I went back. We don't, we, don't, we're not, we don't get that. So find those people that have been with you, die hard, maybe your best buddy, bring them in and have them handle the shit that you don't have the bandwidth for. So whether that's getting the Discord guy set up, so make sure that guy's taken care of. Make sure you have somebody in operations that goes, okay, this is how this needs to work. This is the workflow. This is how this all needs to be set up for us to work in a efficient manner. So those would be some of the first things that I would say to make, to really bring to life. The other thing that you have to be cognizant of while doing this is making sure that the people that treat you well, you treat them well. And I've seen it time and time again, is that people take for granted the, the genius that others bring to the table in this space. And you can lose somebody that could have saved your ass. Yep. So make sure that the people you put in those positions are there and they know that they're appreciated 
and they will have your back until the end of days. It, so, all it takes is a little bit of recognition. All, that's Thank all you. it takes, man. Thank it's, you. If there's any lesson I've learned in my life about managing people or yep. working with people, it's recognizing what they bring to the table. Yep. They'll go to the moon for you. Yeah. Yeah, you, you absolutely nailed it. So uh, from that, another thing that's super important, and I'm glad that you're giving me a platform to be able Dude, to share. Dude, loving this shit because this, our world needs this, man. Uh, there are Thanks, so many man. people out there just flailing. Dying to so, hear it. Yeah, yeah, dying to hear it. And, and that's what I want to do. I really want that to be something that we can present healthy. That's been a Absolutely. goal since the beginning. Another thing to, to take into account is image, right? And, and brand. And one thing that you can find when you start a DAO is that a lot of people have different ideas of how something should be. Right. So if you're the founder of something like Olympus, maybe you came up with this brilliant idea and you have all these wonderful ideas of how it should go forward. And you just got a giant swelling, pulsating brain, but you, then you bring in a bunch of other people and their opinions start to come into play. So you have to be able to manage those opinions properly, not offend people by telling them, no, you have to be okay with being like, no, that's not going to fuck. And right. this is why provide examples why it won't work so that there's it, an actual, there's facts to go off of. Uh, not just your opinion or your emotions. So leave emotions the fuck out of all of this. So then from there, you want to make sure that the the brand cohesiveness and, and image is solidified across the board. And how do you do that when you got maybe fucking 10 people in design, right? Let's just say you got five people. You got to make sure that there is a somewhat of a hierarchy in the sense that there's one person that says, this is what we've all agreed on. We Maybe two or three of the five people have agreed. This is now in stone. We do not deviate. That's key. So make right. sure that when you have an image and a brand, you stick with it. Pivoting from an image and a brand in this space or any space in general is a bearish move. Dangerous. Of course. Of course. You know what I mean? Unless you're going through a whole revamp and you just kick that fight CEO. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because otherwise, look, it's hard enough to get people's attention. And people lock into brand identity, and that's important to them. And so if you change that radically, you're going to lose what you had. You are. You absolutely are. And it sends like the sentiment out to the world that you might not know what you're doing or you yeah, might exactly. not know the direction that you're going in. So you have to tread lightly on that. It's okay to start and then pivot, but don't do that shit too much. Make sure that once you really lock it in, you have everybody turning the key and saying, this is the move. So uh, brand identity, image, make sure that from a design perspective is in place. Then I would say moving forward, make sure that the operations guys aren't getting burned out. And then you move back to marketing as well. Now that you have something where guys all believe and you agree, so you have a group consensus, this is the way it fucking needs to go. This is how it looks. You then want to make sure that marketing is aligned. Do not confuse community and content with marketing <laughs> or it, or make sure Early on, it is all assimilated into one. That sounds crazy because in the early days of Olympus, and this is a good example, is that community and content truly, it, it needs to be, it either needs to be completely separate and unbiased, like a, a news network. So like a media. Example, exactly. It's so that they're giving fair opinions. It's not a biased uh, blue elephant meme, if you know what I'm talking about. So that you're getting, you're getting truth out to people, which is super important. But if you're, if you separate those, make sure you keep them separate clearly because what it can do is cause intercommunicational confusion and optics issues. Now, right. if you bring them all together and, and the, the news and media source is a truly uh, Dow run thing and it's obviously going to be spreading the most positive information and you bring that together, make sure you're working hand in hand with marketing and everyone's aligned. The optics in DAOs are where people get fucked. And I'll say that right now. It's because there's so much going on. And when you get big enough, 
you're going to start to feel like you're fucking drowning if you do not have the optics issues ironed out. So that's a huge one for me, Brad. Matt. Did you explain, let's dive into that a little further. When you say yeah. optics and dials are critical, you mean the optics of people that are coming in, understanding and hearing a clear message and clear communication about what's happening, what the DAO is, what the project is, or do you mean just people fucking up and the optics go bad because somebody says something stupid? No, your first explanation was a little bit on more in tune with it. It's more of optics of operations within the DAO. Got so it. What, what happens in a way of functions? Exactly. Exactly. So a real clean way to give an example of this is when the teams start to grow to such a large size, right? And you've got maybe one team managing, or you've got a single uh, lead engineer and he communicates the direction of what engineering's doing. They're doing their thing. Maybe there's 10 of those guys doing their thing. And then you've got marketing over here. Engineering has been building out a new product, but marketing's been focusing on FOMO4, which is a community event. And maybe the news network is focusing on this. And then what happens is you start to have a disconnect between departments, if you will, quote unquote departments or sure. teams as it should be called in the doubt life. So when you have that disconnect, that's when you start to have confusion. People don't know what's going on from time to time. And there's ways to remedy that. And I'll give a little freebie out, which I'm more than happy to do. And I, I just want to, I want to make sure everyone has the resources they need to not fuck up or trip over their shoelaces is appoint individuals that their sole purpose and goal is to download information from each teams and correspond between teams. So these guys are uh -huh. literally, their job is just to make oh, like sure that, that everyone's synced up. So that's really important. That's and, awesome. Yeah. That's, that's a, brilliant. I love a that. Bit, it's a big one. And what you don't want to do is don't overburden those guys with responsibilities that are outside of that realm of work. Their oh, that's job fantastic. in the DAO is to communicate between each team and make sure that's all brought together in a cohesive manner. And that happens in a semi-regular cadence meeting amongst those team leads. So what you're seeing is somebody bouncing back and forth, communicate, and then everyone gets linked up in that whole network. So that's, that's awesome. Way of fixing it. And that's not like a traditional product manager role because that person is not responsible for any one thing. It's really right. more about clearly making sure that everyone understands who's doing what and what path they're headed down and why, and making sure those are aligned. And if they're not, I assume getting that, making that happen, like bringing them together to say, Hey, wait a minute, they're, this is completely out of sync. We've got to make sure everyone's heading down the same path. 1000%. Yeah. Nice. And, and it's a lot of responsibility what you'll see. And I think this is something that's very important to notice is that as the Dow grows, these positions will need to grow as well. So you might start with one individual who is really acting as like the neural web for, for making sure everyone's on the same page optic right. standpoint. But then what you'll notice is that you need to make sure that he has an assistant with him as well, because now he's doing this for six or seven or 10 or 15 groups. And maybe there's a little bit of, of bandwidth that he needs to offload so that he can continue to do his job properly. Sure. Super Makes important. Sense. Super yeah. Important. Cause it's just going to get bigger. And yeah. At its largest, how, how many people do you think you actively had in the Dow working? Just a guesstimate. I know you. I want to say ballpark. We were probably at around 200 people. That's at, amazing. At time. That's yeah. Amazing. I would say that I'd say at our peak and, and don't stab me if I'm wrong, Dow out no. there, if it was more, I'm totally sorry. But I think that we were in the ballpark between like about 170, 200 people at our peak. And I think the largest team was engineering and we might, and engineering and marketing were definitely the largest at the time. Now that 
can that changes depending on which way the wind blows at the time sure. or what kind of product sure. you're trying to ship if that's the case. And, but yeah, I'd say around 200 at our, at our max, which is pretty fucking big. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. You guys, obviously, uh, things have been a little rough for Olympus Dow lately, but you posted, uh, first I want to touch on something you posted today. I think it was yeah. today about your life that I think probably um, made you better prepared than anyone in the space for doing <laughs> this work, man. Because I read this, I don't know, half hour before our interview and just sat here with my mouth open with this story of what happened to you, man. It's just like unbelievable to recover from this and then to come out of it with a positive outlook when many people coming out of this, what happened to you would have a not so happy life. So yeah. could you like, give people a taste of that because I think that's a really strong insight into kind of why you were, wh why you've been able to do what you have been doing and why you're probably driven a bit more than the average person. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm happy. I'm happy to share it. And this is something I told my wife yesterday because the act of actually revisiting these events, right? You don't think about it at the time as you're typing maybe, but after you hit send on Twitter and it's out there and it's, Hey, I actually did this and I shared this with the world. It's a very exposing slash vulnerable aspect of my life. Right. And I told my wife, I said, if I can get one person to, to say, Hey, this really fucking helped me. And if I can help one single individual, then this was all worth it. I'll take any amount of emotional trauma or whatever it brings up from revisiting it because I've affected one person. And since I was a little guy, that was all I wanted to do. I wanted to help people. Nice. So with my wife, I told her that and I shared this story and just for the listeners too, to give them a, a heads up, I'll, I'll break it down. And I'm more than happy to do that. Early, early twenties, I, I was going through a bad break. I went on, you know, I, I, I had a series of unfortunate events. I won't get too deep into the details of how it happened, but to give you guys an idea, I ended up at the bottom of a 50 foot cliff in pretty stayed overnight. Uh, in the rain, hit every tree. I think hitting the trees on my way down had made the difference, but I ended up at the bottom of a cliff in a puddle, almost drowned in this little puddle and was stuck overnight for eight hours by myself and really had no idea what the hell was going because I slapped my head on the ground. Uh, I later found out that there was a, a substantial amount of injuries that followed that. But over the night, something I didn't share in my Twitter post is that there was a point where I could like, I, and this might sound super cliche and I don't subscribe to the cliche shit, but I'm just sharing honestly. What I experienced was I remember looking down at my body, super weird. And it was something that you see on the Hunter show or something. Yeah, and I, yeah. I remember looking down and like just a brief overview and going in and out of consciousness and seeing a lot of bright white. It was just very like the matrix where it's just that the white room. Yeah. So like when I hit that originally happened, like a, an intense amount of ringing in my ears. And I wake up and go in and out of consciousness and I realize I'm in a puddle and I'm inhaling water and I can't really fucking move at all. I have no idea what's happening. Like literally not a damn clue. It's like you, somebody hit the, res uh, the reset switch on your brain and you're sitting there. Where the fuck am I? Why am I out here? What is this? Okay, it's raining. And then you start to try to like, as your brain is booting back up, if you will, you start to try to put the pieces together out of just like a pure survival mode. So you're going, okay, what am I doing here? Where am I? First off, I had no idea where the fuck I was. Okay, what are the base? What are the basics going on here? It's raining. I'm cold, so I got to get my my arms in my sleeves. I had a little bit bigger of a shirt on, so I pulled them in my sleeves. I, and I, and from what I could do, I pulled the the shirt over my nose and would breathe super deep because I had you know the warm breath, and that was the only thing keeping me warm. At this point, I'm convulsing. I'm fucking I don't even know what I'm at. Uh, so I'm just there, and I go, okay, 
I got to make it through this until I can see because it's pitch dark out. I don't even know what fucking time it is. And I got to figure this out. So I'm breathing in my shirt. I'm going in and out of consciousness. I've managed to get myself my head out of the puddle and put it up on like, I think I pulled like a stick or something that would just keep it a little elevated. And I just continue to breathe in my shirt, keep myself warm. And then I remember hearing the birds chirping when the sun started to, to break. And I go, okay, I'm starting, I'm like looking around and still in the fetal position trying to stay warm. And I'm going, where the fuck am I? And, and, okay, the sun's here. Great. So I start to try to, to get up and move. I had to conserve energy for whatever reason from a survival standpoint. That was everything. It was sure. like, I, I need to wait until I can see. If I try to do anything right now, I'm just wandering in the dark. Like, this yeah. wouldn't make sense. So I tried to get up and I realized instantly almost like this empty feeling on my back. And it was, uh, it was really, it was an odd feeling. It was a feeling of like disconnection. I don't know how else to put it, but it was obviously from the physical trauma and I couldn't really get up at first. So I pulled myself over, like crawling and, and dredging through the mud and I pulled myself over to a tree and I kind of started to lean up against it. And I, I remember this perfectly because it was just like, it was such a struggle for me to get my back against the fucking tree. So I got up against the tree and it took me another, I don't even know how long. The time was warped at this point in time and my brain wasn't working. So I finally somehow get myself up to my feet. And this kind of, I can never explain the feeling, but this feeling of almost like a hollowness going through my back, like a nerve issue. It was like a very odd feeling. I remember feeling it and being like, okay, I don't know where the fuck I am, but I need to start walking in this direction. So I have my hands on my sleeves, I got a shirt over myself, I'm soaking wet, and I just start walking in one direction. And thank goodness, I end up on a trail. And I, I'm like, okay, so I can go left. Or, and I start walking left. And, and I'm just one step in front of the other, slow as shit. And with what energy I have, help me like as loud as I can get it, but it hurt to say it. And, and there's no one around, dude. All I'm hearing is birds chirping, sun's coming out. It's uh -huh. actually quite beautiful. Rain stopped at this point. And so I'm walking and then I hit this mile marker on the right, a little wooden peg. And it, and it, 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 it basically says five miles until this point. And at that point, when I saw that mile marker, I knew exactly where I was. I said, oh shit, I used to live back here. So you click, like, the neurons started firing and I'm going, okay. Oh, I'm going the wrong fucking direction. It's just oh, thank I don't goodness know you were able to figure that yeah. out. So I turned around and I just start limping. I'm talking, it's a step a minute, bro. It was not like you're running oh. out of the fucking woods. It wasn't like some shit in the movies. It's, I'm, I feel like I'm dying and I need to get out of here and I'm living on adrenaline right now. Oh. You don't recognize it at the time, but looking back, it's what yeah. So I'm walking, I find a break in this creek bed and the creek is just at this time of year, it's very low. So I walk through the water. Uh, just very slowly. It's not enough to slip or fall or anything like that. So I was grateful for that. I get across. And then by the grace of whatever, I find my way to exit of this actual creek area. It's a recreational area where people would go and swim during the summer times and shit like that. So I climb out of this, uh, this uphill kind of rock uh, path. And then I end up in basically the backyard of where I used to live. And I'm like, okay, I know where the fuck I am. There's a little shop over here that's not a gas station, but just like a little food area. So I head into that shop. I walk over there and the dude at the counter, man, his face was just like, what? Because I'm soaked. I'm, I got blood running down my face. Oh, I got my hands God. in my shirt and I just asked him, can I use your phone? And he did. I'll, I got, dude, bless this dude. He gave me his phone. And he didn't ask questions at all. He, <laughs> he, he just literally it. gave it to me. He looked shy. It looked like he seen a fucking ghost. And I go, oh my God. So he hands me this phone and I call my father. And that's the only thing my brain could think of. I didn't fucking call 911. I was about to I say, call, yeah. Yeah. I called my dad and I go, dad, I'm dying. And I fucking hung up. Oh, and shit. I, 
Can you imagine as a father hearing that? Like, no. Holy shit, dude. So they, I think they star 69 or something and they called back to figure it out. But before they did that, I went, I sat on a wine crate in the back of the store, like a bodega of sorts. And I sat on this wine crate and then it hit me. That's when the pain started to hit. And it was, it came in fucking a tsunami. It was up and down my spine and my neck and throbbing in my brain. And I go, oh shit, something's really wrong. That's when it actually sat in. And I go, Okay, so I walk back to the front desk and I ask the guy again, I go, can I use your phone again? <laughs> and he answers to me and I call 911. Yeah, all I can say is I'm fucking dying and I give it back to the guy. Oh, um, shit. So, sure enough, the ambulance gets there and what seems like an eternity as it, it does in a lot of these situations as I've heard from people. But they get there and they look at me like I'm just a young kid who was fucking partying the night before and was on drugs and was doing and, and none of that was the case. The kid, it was just, I was so battered and my clothes were so fucked up and I looked yeah. so haggard that they just instantly assumed. So they treated me like I was just another individual who hadn't been through any kind of thing. They threw me on a wooden stretcher with no padding at all. Ugh. They threw me in the back of that fucking uh, thing and I, I just start crying. I'm crying in pain. I don't like know what's oh, going my on. God. And they're laughing. I'll never forget these fuckers are laughing at me as they hit these speed bumps and it bounced the whole fucking back of the Holy vehicle and it's shooting pain through my entire body. I'm going, oh my God, dude. Like, and I'm crying because at this point I'm like, I give up. I'm pretty much, well, pretty sure I'm going to die or something of the matter is going to happen. I'm confused as shit. There's no like cognitive yeah. understanding of what's going on. So these guys, they bring me to the hospital after a hell ride. They put me in a fucking wheelchair and wheel me into the waiting room and leave. And I sit there and I sit there and then the shock starts hitting me more and I'm calling and I'll never forget this. And I hope that someday I can figure out which, which nurse this was, but this nurse comes running out into the waiting room because I'm fucking in tears, like howling at this point. And she looks at me in the eyes and she goes, what the fuck did they do? Oh. And she grabs me and rushes me back. And oh that was like, God blackout point like where i just gave up that was all my energy i got to the hospital yeah you got you've got somebody's attention that's i it. gotta go yeah i got it now it's i gotta figure out what the, boom i'm out i wake up in a fucking hospital bed dude and my parents are there there's you know i'm surrounded by people and i don't even i couldn't even tell you what the time frame was at this point it could have been the next day but everyone's there and i'm coherent and they let me know they go hey bag fatty you're um you're back is broken you your three thoracic i think it was like t6 7 and 8 have been actually severed broken off either side of your spinal cord and we have to give you an emergency surgery a spinal fusion or or your and you potentially will never walk again there's a coin toss 50 50 chance you'll never walk again and we have to do it at this point you can't let it heal naturally your vertebrae are fucking floating basically. oh god so oh, here i am Wait, so you, wait, yeah. Let, let's, yeah, you're walking. <laughs> yeah. With, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. In multiple places, all the way in. And, and to add insult to wow. injury, the, the paramedics don't take you seriously. No one believe me. Yeah. And make it worse. It's just yep. incredible to me. It's insane. Yeah, it was so. It's insane that you, you had the wherewithal to actually walk it right and yes I, because i think most people would have laid there and died frankly yeah, i yeah. just I, yeah i i, I can't fathom it i really can't fathom it for me it was like i'm not fucking dying yeah in my mind it was like it ain't happening 
I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not dying today. Way out of this woods, but I ain't dying right here where I'm laying on like, the I had a plan in my mind that night from whatever jarbled brain function I had to get the fuck out of there. I was terrified. And, and I should mention that the PTSD after this, and we'll uh, get into that a little bit, but the I couldn't sleep in a room with a door closed for years. Okay. Because the feeling of being alone and isolated like I was at the bottom of that cliff. Yeah. Was some of the most insane shit ever. And you don't really, like, you know, people that don't experience PTSD don't really have that grasp of what it truly means oh. to have that, but it's a psychological fuck. So, yeah. Um, I cringe when people throw that term around because it's, it's like, you know, dangerously. I've never been through anything that would cause me that, but I know the circumstances that cause that to people. And for sure. we, we shouldn't use that term lightly. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one. I wake up and they, you know, pretty much what well, we have to agree to the spinal fusion. You know what I mean? It's, it's just what has to happen. They say, okay, we're going to do that. And they're so focused on my spine and I've been in the hospital. I forgot what the, the, the delay was, but for some reason we had like, a, I think between two to three days of before the surgery could actually happen. Oh. And on, on that third, I think it was the night before the surgery, they were so focused on my back that they didn't look at my fucking neck. And my neck was broken. I had multiple nurses run into the room. I remember I was like two or three in the morning. Don't touch fatty bits. Do not touch. Do not move, sir. Do not freak the fuck out. Like they had just seen the x-ray. And I'm going, I'm already going through this shit. What now? Boom. They strap a neck brace on. So now they're like, by the way, you fractured your neck. You broke just one part of your neck that didn't instantly kill you or turn you into a paraplegic. So you're good there. But do you want to have a halo drilled in your head? Oh, no. To, to, to heal it or do you want to naturally let it heal and see if you can get away with that and at this point i didn't want fucking a halo drilled in oh, i don't like i'm already so traumatized fathom that you better knock me out for as long as that has to go oh, my head exactly exactly so i'm like I, dude I, and i'm talking to my parents i don't want fucking i don't want them to drill into my skull that's terrifying oh, you know like God. yeah so i opted out of that i said let's just keep a neck brace on. They said, you'll have to wear a neck brace for about a year and you're going to have to wear a back brace after the surgery for a year. And you're going to be, you're going to be bedridden for probably six months before you can start to do any kind of rehabilitation. So they, I go into the surgery, I come out, I wake up and everything, the people are around me. And the, I think it was the night after surgery, the girl that I was seeing at the time came in, brought me flowers and let me know in my haze that she could not be with me. Oh after. my God. Yeah. So it would talk no. about putting salt on the wound. It was oh, like, Oh no. Oh, so now like, you know, there's a chick that I was with for a, a recent amount of time. And that was like adding a, a mental heartache to the whole thing too. So then I'm going, okay, give me more medication or whatever the fuck. Let's just get through this. Thing. That's all I need to do. Everything else will be all right. Oh uh, God. So that hit so then I, I had a lot of friends come through, but the harsh reality of it is that the day ones, the guys that were my buddy skateboarding and smoking pot with me back in middle school, those, that tight knit group of maybe two or three friends you make and maybe lose over the course of life. Those guys were the guys that stuck around during the healing period. The, the, the other people who came in and it's totally understandable. People have lives, like they have things they have to take it's care hard. of. Maybe it's hard. It's, I didn't fault anyone for that, <clears throat> but there was only maybe two or three people that stuck with me through it. And then of course my family. Oh, yeah. Bless their hearts. It was a hell of a thing for them. But anyway, you know, they said, Hey, look, we got to send you home. Here's a hospital bed. It literally with the control and every, we, you, you rent it out from us and basically put it in your house and keep it for as long as you need, because I couldn't sit up myself. I couldn't, right. fucking, I couldn't wipe my own ass. I couldn't take a shit by myself. You couldn't piss by yourself. So you, you, all these things that you're so, you take for granted that you love and, or you don't even love, you don't even notice. Just yeah. It's just part of life. From you instantly. 
They're gone. That's and now you're looking at life like, will I ever walk again? Will I ever be able to wipe my ass again? My parents are getting older. Are they going to pass away from the stress? My mom's got heart problems. Like Ugh. all these things start to hit you. And you like, there's two options, bro. And I'm going to be honest with anybody that's going through shit. And this might seem insensitive, but it is, it's the reality of the situation for at least me is that you can either fight or you can just lay the fuck down and give up. And yeah. there's, there's really the two options you got. There's no in-between. You're yeah. going to battle a little, but or you give the fuck up. And at that time, I said, you know what, dude? I'm still here. I'm thinking. I can do shit. I'm cool. Like, I'm going to fight this fucker through. And I'm going to stay as positive as I can through this whole fucking ordeal. Regardless of the outcome, I'm not going to think one day ahead or the day behind. I'm going to stay in the present. And that's it. Yeah. And that is the strategy that I went with through the entire time. And it was six months in a bed after three months, I, or I don't know, maybe one to three months, I was able to start to move the bed upright. Right. So I was good. There's a, my mother, bless her heart, was bringing me food, three meals a day into my room. I couldn't, I couldn't really get up at all until after about the three to six month marker, I started to do like these rehabilitation, like these walks. And right. what they said is... <clears throat> You can walk and you need to walk to rebuild all the nervous system and, and make sure all that stuff starts to fire and work together again. So I started to go on these cane walks with my mother and I just wouldn't stop. I'd go until I was in tears and pain because I was like, fuck this. Nothing is easy. I'm nice. doing it. I don't care. And I pushed, brother. And I got through it to a point of where I, and let me know if I'm being too long-winded too, bro. I know. No, nah, dude, I love this. I'll okay. figure out how to make it all work in. Don't worry about awesome. it. It's all good. I'll, Awesome. At the end of it, if you get to a point of where you're in a neck brace and you're in, in a back brace and you're able to walk and you're able to hang out with your buddies again. And the doctors told me, I don't know if my parents told them to tell me this, but they said like, no drinking, no smoking, or you'll never walk. That was a pretty cool way for me to find a sobriety there. And like, I just accepted it. And I was a partying young guy, like sure. Happens. And then I dealt with some addiction to the uh, pain medication because I, I had to be on it. The pain, was, of course. there's no way. And, and I think there's opioids are a, a horrible fucking thing, but in some edge cases, in some cases, people truly do need pain medication. Of course. And at that time, I did need it. I think actually administering yeah. it should probably come along with some kind of rehab after, right? It's absolutely. You're going to be doing these every day because you have this pain. You, we have a plan, right? We have a plan. You. You're going to be addicted. Yep. Let's make sure we help you get off yep. of it. But instead, we leave people to figure it out. So massive failure on on our behalf here and around the world. It really there needs to be a regime and there needs to be a, you know real follow up protocol for that. Yeah. So me being me, the anxiety of all this was really traumatic because I don't die. I went through all this loss at one time. My life has changed. I'm never skateboarding again. I'm never doing some of these things that I really love or I sure. didn't think I would. And so I kind of just was like, fuck, man, I need something to cut this anxiety. So Xanax came into my life and I was taking that to the extent of really abusing the kid. I'm sorry out. to laugh. I should yeah, laugh, but I know what you meant. You know exactly. You're laughing because it's just a, such, it's so obviously like a, a remedy. And a lot of us go to and sure. like, and that, and it makes sense. And, but for me, I went overboard on it because with, as you may know, and as a lot of people may know, listeners is that. When you start those things with Xanax, you need more over time to get the same results. Of and, course. And, and if you go too deep uh, and you're dealing with a lot of trauma that you don't take care of in other ways, you start to forget you're taking it and you're taking more. And then it becomes this horrible fucking. So I went through that for three years and I had buddies that wow. were intervention. They're like, dude, we're losing you again. Like, what the fuck is going on? And one day I just said, you know what? I'm stopping this shit too. And I nice. went cold turkey. And what I learned later was I probably almost killed myself doing that as well. Oh, shit. Is that you're not supposed to quit Bidzo's cold turkey. Oh, so what I mean, that now it's too much of a shock to your body. Yeah. Those are the two that can kill you. And I did that cold turkey. I sat on a couch for three days, sweating, hallucinating, Ugh. crying, 
pissing, puking, vomiting, all that shit. And then I came out of it on the other side and, and it took a while for me to get used to being who I really was, which was yeah. like, okay, I got to deal with trauma now. I have to accept what yeah. happened to me. And so I went through that and that was over the course of years. So I don't want to be too long winded there, but it, what it took was like a lot of taking care of myself, getting into the gym, doing what I could do, eating properly, meditating, focusing on the things that were important to me at the time and not getting too caught up in the wish wash. So fast forward to now, I think it's been probably over fucking 10 and 12 years since that's happened. And it's all really, truly a distant dream, like a fluttering memory. Uh, just a small reminder of the, like I'd said in the tweet, like a shock up my spine from now and then from the nerve damage, it's, you feel it. And I don't have the feeling on my spine. It's like my girl rubs my back or scratches my back. I can't feel down my spine. It's a weird sensation, but That's weird. those are the small reminders of that I had been through. And now it's, I'm a totally different person. Brain well, works perfectly. <laughs> that's awesome. But well, I think what it, look, I think that's important here is number one, you had the conviction to push and fight through. I, I had a friend in high school, his brother uh, was in a really horrible car accident and had some paralysis and some other issues. And not only he, but his entire family gave up. And it was this oh, home of just misery. I loved my buddy to death, but it was just this, just nobody, because he didn't fight, nobody else did. And it was, they did, you know, just all gave up. And it was like this miserable thing. And so I think you already had that fortitude, but I have to believe that going through that has made an incredible difference in, in anything you take on, right? Because yeah. it's a look, I, I was fortunate enough to know, to be raised that you can just try anything and keep trying anything. And if you fail, you can get back up and do it, get right? back but, up it wasn't, but I wasn't going through trauma. It was just me failing at business or projects or whatever. But for you, this is, you're like overcoming incredible obstacles, coming out of it and overcoming another obstacle. I'm sure that has made a huge difference in kind of not something you apply every day, but it's something that's just there for you. No, yeah, it definitely is. And I would say that it's something that I do apply every day. And, and I think sometimes it's subconscious as well. Like it's now been ingrained in, in to what I do and right. how I treat people and how that reflects. And to me, I, I think it's a really good and important lesson from all of this. If anyone can take anything out of my story is like, one, be really grateful for what you have because that can disappear very quickly sure. and, and be grateful for the people that surround you and love you. Hug your mom a couple more times a day because you never sure. know when you're not going to see those people again or when you might disappear. And one, and the other thing is like to treat everyone in this world as a fellow human being. And you'll hear me say it all the time. Like we're on this fucking big giant blue marble floating through space. And God only knows how many miles per hour. And, and at the end of the day, it's a very small little world. that we're on. We only have each other. And yep. it's easy to lose sight of that because it's our own micro bubble. So love each other, care about each other, take care of each other. Take a second to step back and think about how you're talking to people or treating people and, and, and do it with compassion. And that's what I learned from that a lot. I had a really loving family growing up so that helped. Uh, with the whole kind of the hippie mom and stuff like that. But sure. this really reinforced it for me that if you keep positive intention, you stay driven in your conviction on getting better at whatever might be plaguing you at the time, like you truly can fucking do it and you will. You just yeah. have to truly believe it. No, that's, that's awesome. That's really amazing. I think it's a great lesson for everybody. I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I, I and this segue is rough, but uh it's yeah, like, no so look, I, I, but I think some of that fortitude, some of that spirit that you bring to the table obviously helped you with managing people and the chaos and the stress and the personality conflicts yeah. that happen. 
But there's also things that in the last few months have happened to the project as a whole that is, I got to believe were really rough internally. And I'm curious what that was like when the liquidations happened and all of the clones really yeah. harmed the overall brand. We were talking about kind yeah. of the brand and through no fault of the project, it harmed the brand. Yeah. Can you kind of tell us what was that like? And then as a team, how have you coped? Because my, sure. my, my experience from the outside looking in at Olympus Dow is that despite all of that and some attrition of people involved in the project, mm -hmm. I still see this sense of building and drive. So I'm curious how you guys all handled it, what's, what you guys went through and what you can tell to other people. Uh, yeah. And I want to say that was so well put. And thank you for asking that question, Brad, too, because a lot of time with like when people face adversity in the space and like when a project has some difficulties or something happens, it's easy for people to try to set them up and trap them. And I never thought that's what you were doing. This whole podcast and vibe has been fucking amazing. So cool. super Good. kudos to that. But that Good. question was super fair. And it was like, nice. and I love that. Yeah. So the, the first thing I wanted to touch on is imitation is the greatest form of flattery in a lot of ways, <laughs> right? So like when you're doing something really cool and people see it's working, you have good actors that want to build on top of that and create something more with more innovation. And then you've got bad actors that want to take advantage of that and make, manipulate and, and exploit people. You're going to see like a whole, the, the whole entire, uh, the realm of those characters, they come out. Sure. And that's okay. And one thing that and it's natural in this, especially in the blockchain where they can just take your idea and fucking carbon copy. But one thing that was really important to the Olympus team when I was with them is that, and, and still is until this day, I can definitely echo that, is that we didn't want to, to focus or give attention to the negatives, regardless of the damage that some of these forks were doing by manipulating the, the initial idea behind what we were doing. We didn't want to even give them the spotlight. And it was difficult for to try to keep that under wraps because you put your life into this thing and you're working your ass off sure. and you give your genius and then somebody just comes, snatches it up, shits on it. That yeah. hurts, right? That's an emotional human reaction. That fucking sucks. So, yeah. you know, you get that side of it. So you have some individuals who are personally hurt and you have to learn to remove yourself from that and go, okay, keep your nose down to the grindstone and keep building, keep shipping or whatever it is we're doing at the time and, and stay focused in the, the goal here because the bad actors will wash themselves out as we've seen and, and the good actors are still within the ecosystem and building. So right. there's that side of it. So yeah, if I, I could say anything to that, it's just stay focused on you, stay in your own lane. And that's what one thing that Olympus has done really well. Internally, from what I can say, because I've stepped away to, to take care of my kiddo, so I'm not really part of the project and there's not a lot that I can speak there from a confidentiality standpoint. But what I can sure. say, what I can say is that Everyone kept a cool fucking head and the nine, nine degenerate over leveraging bullshit. A lot of us in that realm were very bearish on the idea of Ugh. people being able to leverage up Me too. by like, it's just, it's a degenerate realm. And there's a lot of people that have that gambling mentality and you have to be so careful. So there, yeah. there, there needed to be in hindsight. Far more education around safe, just the safe leveraging, if that's even so yeah. we're on it. Look, I think one of the things that was, and, and I'll let you get back to what you were saying, but no, no, I, I, I think one of the things that bothered me the most about it is number one, we need tools that tell the safety, the impact of the leverage across lending protocols for each project, right? We, yes. we, people need to be able to see this is the shit that's going to happen if this goes sideways. And, and so I think that's number one. And I think actually people are trying to address that to some extent in, in some yep. of the people I've talked to about the problem. 
But the second thing is, and I think this is part of the psychology of the community, and I don't think it's something we all thought about before this, these things happened. But I think it's important as like the communications to people about that kind of leverage is you should understand that not only are you putting yourself in danger when you're leveraging, but you're actually putting the project that you believe in danger. And I don't think that's something that people connected until those things happen. And I'm not even sure that a lot of people that are full-blown degenerates in the space who are just investing in whatever they invest in yeah. care or understand it. But at the end of the day, the what happened, those liquidations that happened were because people went too far with it. And absolutely. And I got to believe that, look, I'm sure everybody on every project that experienced that kind of a thing happening has said to themselves, could we have done anything differently? But at the end of the day, I think there's ways we can phrase it. We can talk about it. We can communicate about it that we will all learn to be better about. But at the end of the day, people made these decisions. And Correct. that's a lot of what we're about is you get yep. to make those decisions and take those risks. I just think we need to get really good at making sure people understand that those decisions don't just impact and, and no, they can't it. impact the whole thing. Yeah. And that, that really circles back to the, the education side of things and making it very apparent of the risks and the rewards. It's just like, <laughs> you see it and it causes something like that. And then you end up with cascading liquidation scenario and you end up with bud or you end up the psychology yeah. i think is something that's not accounted for a lot when these things happen and like yep. people in the space we're all a bunch of nervous cats in one way shape or form it's all shit shit's hitting the fan and there's some diamond-handed convicted people who are like die hard and they make crazy fucking plays and they can afford to do that but a large portion of DeFi can't afford to uh, wait it out or to risk it or diamond hand it. And that kind of uncertainty and shaky paper handedness can lead to these cascading events. And that comes back to what you were saying is it needed, it needs to be educated. People need to be educated properly in this space of so the risk that it can do to the protocol itself as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you nailed it. Did you feel like within the community of leadership or DAO, the DAO members that were actually actively working, was there a kind of a point where everybody was like, Oh shit, this is really bad. I don't know what I'm trying to get at. I'm not trying to dig out anything personal here. I'm just trying to, how difficult was it for everyone when these things were happening to watch it happening? Obviously that's a stupid question because it was hard, but at the same time, did you feel like it took a lot for everyone to climb back out of it? Was there a time when people were like shut down and then everybody dove back in? Or do you feel like people just were like, that's the shit that happens in DeFi. Let's just keep moving. Yeah, no, I'm actually uh, really happy to answer this question because cool. uh, the truth of it and no smoke up anyone's skirt or shorts or fluff <laughs> is that shit happens and shit goes south. Yeah. And I think a measure of people's character is like, how do you handle those situations when shit hits the fan? And I was pleasantly surprised. I, I wouldn't say surprised, but you just don't know how people are going to act when things go fucking south or something changes right. it's drastic. And every, and I can say this with conviction that every single soul in that DAO continued to work their ass off, even in the darkest hours to try to turn shit around one way nice. or another. There were nice. the meeting cadences were kicked up. There was fucking three times as many meetings. Now, am I going to say everyone was cheery? <laughs> we're, we're all, everyone in there is going critical mass. Shit is hitting the fan. Like, what do we do to correct this? Because we want to do right by the people that are involved. Like, oh, sure our family you don't want yeah. to fuck your family so everyone is not to mention everyone else involved has seen their net worth dramatically just, crash oh yeah. totally and yeah. and like not a single member sold in from my knowing 
during that time. And it was just, let's fix this. And everyone's mind was in a collaborative, stressed out because we're all human. It's one thing I, I'd like to do in this space is to humanize human being a human. <laughs> it's like, we were all very stressed. Everyone's stressed trying to figure out how to fix things and make things work or adjust and pivot, but no one gave up and no one nice. sat down and was defeated. So that was that really impressive. So hats off to all the guys. That's that awesome. Call for sure. That's awesome. Look, and I think there's a knee jerk reaction. Like we got to do something different. We got to change everything. We got to pivot. And I think that's everyone in their head thinks that they may not have done it or said it, but everyone thinks, okay, I, I got to change something up because we got to show people we're changing things. But my impression was that the project just said, you know what, we're just going to keep plunging ahead. Yeah. Zeus made some announcements and there were some conversations and you guys worked on a plan right away and, and just said, we are going to move ahead. We're not going to let this interfere with the mission. And to me, that was the absolute best way to handle a crisis. Yeah. It was like, yeah. it was picture perfect crisis management. And when you put it up against when you put it up against Wonderland and the total lack of crisis management in that chaos, it's quite the, it's quite the, it's quite the juxtaposition. And sadly, a lot of the pain that people were feeling was, was indirectly a result of what was going on over there. Anyway, so I was totally impressed with that. But I think the question becomes for you, how do you feel about where Olympus ends up in two years from now. Do you think it gets to being a reserve currency of crypto? And if you don't want to answer this question, I understand. I'm not going to, I'm not looking for a gotcha here. Where do you think Olympus ends up? Because from my perspective, I see a really incredibly strong team bound together and continuing to build. But at the same time, it's hard to build when things don't immediately recover. And so I know there's like this downward kind of pressure on people. I'm just wondering where you see the project in in the future, what do you think will happen for Olympus Dow in the future? No, no again, uh, super happy to, to add my two cents. And I could be completely wrong too. And that's something I'm super happy to admit. Cool. All I know is what I experienced while I was with the team. And I think there is a lot of really brilliant individuals, some of the most brilliant probably in the space that are working behind the scenes to, nice. to try to turn things around or to pivot and to, to better things uh, for the future. Whether or not that will come to fruition is entirely now in the hands of those individuals, whether or not they, they can continue to battle through the socioeconomic issues that we see in the world, the bear market that we're currently fucking battling, all of this other shit that's working against them. Now, if they're able to continue to push through, which I believe they are, and, and it might not be the same group of people, the in and outs of DAOs is beautiful because there's new people come in and they're completely refreshed and ready to rock and roll and they bring new ideas and shit changes. And that's sure. well could happen. And then some of the older thinkers might back out. I don't know. I can't speak for them. But what I can say is that I think that the team themselves have an idea of what they want to do. They have a lot of really brilliant people there. And if anyone can do it, I think they can fucking pull it off one way. Nice. It might not be the same damn thing that we see today. It might be completely different, but right. uh, I would love for them to be able to make it because I've always seen their intention, which was like to do good. So I definitely feel that way. And I think there's a reset, right? There's a mental reset that can happen with new blood coming in to the team. Yeah. And that is, is you've got a group of people who were investors of this, myself included, who experienced those highs. Right. Yes. As the ridiculous highs and who now have an expectation of what was, as opposed to people that are coming in today who can say to themselves, wait a minute, this model still makes sense. The concept still makes sense. The team is still awesome. The, 
if, if I'm starting here, it's an up move. And, and if I'm in the middle of a bear market and I'm starting here, imagine with all of the good bones, all, everything that's in this project that's there, what yep. could be later on. I definitely think that makes sense. Yeah, it, absolutely. Is, is there, are, are there any other things? And I'm thinking I really, I almost feel like I need to do four interviews with you because I don't think we got close <laughs> to tapping that. your wisdom from this experience. There's so many things I want to ask you, but it's already, I guarantee you, my family's going to be knocking so on the door happy. for dinner soon. Yeah, I'm so happy to come back anytime. Awesome. Like, I, I've awesome. really had a blast. I think I might have to get you on. I have a daily show I do with a partner of mine where we just talk projects, news, DGEN shit, whatever. Yes, we I think as things are in the news, it'd be really cool to have you come on and speak from your experience to some of those things. Anyway. Yeah, love it. Love it, uh, please. Um, so you're taking some time off to have a baby. Yes. You're gonna get you're gonna get really good at one-handed typing, and you're gonna have one arm that's much stronger than the other. I totally believe it. I can tell you that I got so good at one-handed typing, man. Spam hopping back and forth. <laughs> I didn't you're even gonna, think about it, but that's great. <laughs> you're gonna be so good at it, dude. Cause your wife is gonna pass out. You're gonna be up when the baby wakes up at night, yep. holding, and you're gonna be like, What the hell am I doing? And it's gotta like be on the phone or the computer. Anyway, so expect that. But what's next after that? Are you going to be still engaged? I think you're involved in some NFT projects. What are you, what are you going to do next? Yeah, no, I will not leave this space at all. I'm so bullish on, on crypto in general, and I love the idea of it, the freedom that it brings to a lot of individuals. But currently for me, I'm an artist too, for those that might not oh, know. Oh, nice. I, I did not yeah. know. My, my first NFT project is called Apelians, and it was just literally, I was ripping a bong one night as horrible as that's <laughs> probably some of our listeners and i'm like wait a second there's a stone date and then there's like aliens but no, completely joking but i was thinking you know, people ape in in this industry and then i love aliens so like let's just throw them together and sure enough i start drawing these they're symmetrical very psychedelic art and i started to draw them and i put them up for 0.33 east for the memes for the the olympus memes and i was like all right and sure enough, the community starts purchasing them up. By the tenth one, I'm selling them for one, two, three ETH, and nice. then up in excess of fucking six, seven ETH, and, nice. and these things start blowing up. And before you know it, I get through all fifty of my gen aliens, and I've done 105 ETH in traded volume, which is not a ton compared to some of these other projects. But for one dude in his room working at marketing side, of still- this, it was a huge accomplishment because people always said I was an artist, but I never considered myself an artist. Weird dichotomy. So that's Aplians is my project. I have one that I just launched, which is Aplians Larva. Um, that's a generative one where I've done, I, it's an 8-bit pixel format uh, homage to the old school gaming days that I love so much. It's a really cool little project and we're working on bringing it into an omniverse and, and potentially a game and a lot of other really cool segues to gated communities, alpha, all that stuff. But I really wanted to focus on community and the art. So that's what we're doing with Aplians. So anybody that wants to hop in, come join nice. us, say what's up, easy vibes. Quick shill from Fatty. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Man. I'm, I'm going to check it out. That's great. Look, and I can see you having a role advising some projects, getting their shit yes. together when they're launching. I really yep. see that. I see that for you. There's so much good experience behind you. And I think there's a lot. I, I actually will probably ping you for a couple of projects Anytime. I'm advising right now. So I think that makes total sense. Listen, man, thank you so much for your time and for sharing so freely of your knowledge and your wisdom. I really appreciate it. I think it's going to be of great benefit to the community and and thanks for your time. Hey, man, thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate you. And anytime you want to pull me up. Oh, I'm chat, totally going to do it. I love it. I'm totally going to make you come back on. I'll have you come on the daily show and then we'll do another episode where we talk more through this. Consider me signed up, man. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, buddy. Have a great night. You as well. Bye. Bye-bye.